0: Back in 2008, the Lord started showing me the calling He had put on my life to pray for revival. I started running into many people, of course, who had already been doing this for decades, so there's nothing amazing about that part. But like many of you listening, I've now been regularly contending for revival for years. And some of you listening are just starting in your journey in this area. Maybe others are called to pray for other things. But here's a real issue that all intercessors must face. How do we stay steady in the journey? How do we keep our hearts and minds engaged? Our House of Prayer in Winnipeg has been praying for revival, for the turning of our whole city, for over 13 years. And yet in 2019, we saw our highest murder rate in our city's history. So do you just fold up your tent and go home at that point? Of course not. But staying steady presents a whole bunch of challenges as we contend for the promises of God over our city. And the same is true for those of you praying for your workplace, campus, and family. So we've decided to record a series of discussions on some key things that have helped us to stay steady in prayer, and praying faith-filled prayers well over a decade later in our house. Each of us approach prayer a bit differently, and so we believe that as you join us, you're going to be strengthened and encouraged, no matter who you are. So let's dive into our second discussion as we talk about the transcendence of God, His majesty and glory and splendor, and how that keeps us steady and filled with awe and faith. This is The Burning Rooms Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Burning Rooms podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect you to the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations, share the stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. And today we are joined by Harv. He was a previous guest on another podcast. I don't remember the name of it at this moment, but we'll put it in the show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Harv. Thank you and Jaden we are also welcoming Jaden back into our studio. Thank you Johan. Great to have you guys on as we continue this conversation that we started last time on last time we asked the question what is prayer. So today we're going to go a little bit deeper into the conversation to talk about how the majesty of God shifts the way that we pray. So in the second episode of this series on intercession, the word intercession, it's a word tossed around a lot and Jesus himself called himself the great intercessor. So let's take a little bit of time to understand what that actually all involves, what it means. So in our topic today, again, how the majesty of God shifts the way you pray. Or you can also say God's transcendence or God is other than. So Harv, as our guest in this series, what definition can you give to our topic today?
2: Great question. I'm not sure how great my answer is. I think the definition of Prayer, the definition of intercession, it's like it shifts as we move along in it. And I would say part of what is important for me is to understand the gap, the massive gap that there is between God and everything else and everyone else. I I think of Tozer, one of his quotes, which is the one that says, What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so thinking correctly about God. Forms and informs my intercession in ways that I'm not always in contact with. So, for example, what I'm trying to say is, God is the creator. We're not. He created everything. He created Satan. He created angels. He created demons. And the gap between God and angels is essentially the same breadth, depth. It's the same gap as there is between God and the smallest ant. Like it's, He's a little bit better than His best created creature. He is. Indescribably different from anything and everything that's been created. So it's like there's in one pile everything that's been created, and then there's God, and there's a vast chasm between those two. So to understand God is to understand that He is vastly different from anything and anyone we've ever run into. And so that, as a creator, gives great faith, great hope. As I pray, as I intercede,
0: I love this idea of of really letting the the majesty of God inform the way that we pray. Um, I know when we, when we look at scripture, it's we can sometimes just think about, you know, w- just one aspect of God. So, for example, we can focus on his imminence, the fact that he's really close and that he's kind and compassionate and and caring, which is awesome because we have a God who actually cares when we pray about him. So so that's really, really good news. But the the problem is, is that if he's just close and he's not all powerful, we have a God who cares about us, but he can't do a thing. But when we bring into this this understanding of the majesty and glory of God, of who He is seated on His throne, the the power, like Harv was saying, that He's just so much greater. He's so much greater than any creative thing. That's a game changer in how we pray, because we're talking to a God who has all power, all authority. There's no creative being that is even remotely close to Him in His, in his power and His might. And like I said, it's just a game changer. All of a sudden, we pray completely different because we know who we're talking to.
1: Harv, you mentioned uh, Tozer quote. There's another one I I really like that actually talks about this topic. I think it's in the knowledge of the holy. It goes, Yet we must not compare the being of God with any other as we just now compared the mountain with a child. We must not think of God as, as highest in ascending order of beings, starting with a single cell and going on up from the fish to the bird to the animal to the man to angel to cherub to God. This would be to grant God eminence. Even preeminence, that is not enough. We must grant him transcendence in the fullness meaning of that word. Forever God stands apart in light unapproachable. He is as high above the archangel as above a caterpillar. For the gulf that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite, while the gulf between God and the archangel is infinite. The caterpillar and the archangel, though far removed from each other in the scale of created things, are nevertheless one in which they are light created. They both belong in the category of that which is not God, and we are separated from God by infinitude itself. So basically what Tozer is saying is God is so far above anything that we can even, even imagine or even have any comparison that it's we can't really even comprehend it. So how do we have this unapproachable God that is so high and far above everything else, and yet... We are supposed to approach Him. We're supposed to come with Him with boldness. I just, I just see a paradox here in Scripture, and we see this throughout Scripture. We have Scriptures that tell us that God is incomprehensible, but we also have many Scriptures that talk about how we need to know Him and we can know Him. So, I've always wrestled with this. I don't know about you guys.
2: Sometimes, when you mention that, I think of this phrase that I find so delightful. It's called the ecstasy of non-comprehension. You don't understand how how can it be that this God who's so amazing can come so near? And so we look at the incarnation, Jesus, fully God, fully man, in the flesh. We can touch him. We rub shoulders with him. So he's a he reflects in a perfect way his father. And so he gives us, a, that's a one way to look at how is God, who is God. We look at Jesus and we have some, some pathway forward, I think.
1: Well, I think even that Ephesians verse that we love so much, that we pray in the house of prayer, Ephesians 3.19, it, it says, right, the verse, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So it says, know something that surpasses knowing, basically. So it's, it's like a paradox in that one verse. And there's many other verses where we see the, that paradox as well.
0: Yeah, for me, it, it highlights the power of the cross. It really does, because we have a God who is, he dwells in unapproachable light. He is absolutely holy. And so we have no business in his presence. Like, we have absolutely no business in his presence whatsoever, except for the fact that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us of all of our sins. And this is huge. Like, we, when we come into his presence, we are—I mean, yeah, the, the Bible uses this language as, as friend and father, but he's also this holy, mighty God. And that that part of his being is never, ever suspended, even for a moment. And and it, to me, it just highlights the, the power of what Christ did on the cross because, because of his blood— says we can come into the Holy of Holies. We can come and we can approach the unapproachable God, not on any merit of our own, but because of what Christ did. And and to me, it's just a a wonder of like, oh my goodness, like Jesus, what did you all do for me on the cross? Because I, I have no business here. And yet actually I totally belong here.
2: I totally belong here because of what you did and you made a way for me. Like what kind of a God is this who says, I'm entirely unapproachable and yet I want you to come near? What other God is there who's like that? you can't approach me, but guess what? I want you to come into my presence and I won't kill you.
1: I mean, even as you say that, I just feel like fascinated by him, right? And I think that's one of the things that's supposed to draw out of us is just this fascination. It's like, oh, you are so different and it, I don't understand it and I got to know more. I just want to seek you out and find out how does this work? I, I want to understand
0: your heart and what like what's going on? I think about, this is kind of a funny example, but a very different example would be the Wizard of Oz movie, where in the end she she has this encounter and she encounters the Wizard of Oz and he's this man behind the curtain and he's just, it's just a big disappointment. It's just a little guy and it's nothing like what she was expecting. And then when we come to God in prayer, it's the exact opposite. He's like, he was behind that curtain in the Old Testament, but we can go right through that veil in the New Testament and we find out that he's actually way, way better than we ever thought he was, that there's nobody like him and we get to come in behind the curtain, but we find out oh my goodness, like we thought he was good, but he invites us in and he, he's so much better.
3: Like with his with, with his majesty, the picture I almost get is sometimes if you're just learning about someone and you don't know if you can completely trust them, you are maybe wondering, is there something about them that I don't know that's going to make me lose confidence in them? That I'm not going to have be able to have trust in them or I'm going to find out something, there's going to be this barrier in our friendship. With God, it's the exact opposite. It's like, am I going to find out something about God that's just going to make me love him so much more? That there's hidden traits of what he's like and this character that's going to cause my heart to come alive that are just waiting to be discovered. There's no moral fault in God.
1: So like I said, there's like tons of examples in Scripture. Like Scripture talks about a few ways that like we can't approach him. He's unapproachable. Like Psalm 145.3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And then Job 26, 14, behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? And then there's the, your thoughts are not my thoughts, nor your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And that's Isaiah. I mean, there's, there's a few other examples. And then we also have these, these examples in scripture that say we can know him. Like Second Peter 1, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Of Jesus our Lord. Like it says, you will gain knowledge of God. If he's praying that prayer, that's it's obviously something we can attain, is the knowledge of the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. So again, don't boast in these other things, but boast in that you know me, that you know God. And again, there's there's other countless examples of this weird paradox in Scripture that we can't know Him, but we must know Him. So what does this do to fuel our prayer? Like, why is He doing this? Why is there this paradox in Scripture that He has us wrestle with?
4: I think there's a real dependency that He's wanting to foster when, when I read the New Testament, what always jumps off the page to me is that we're in Christ, we're in Jesus. I think of Ephesians uh, chapter 1 where he says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That our prayers are effective and heard and answered because we're in Christ. And so... It, the reason why we are able to access the father the reason why we're, our prayers are heard is because we're in christ and so it's it's like we're approaching god and he's this all consuming fire and we're terrified yet if we cling to Christ, if we are found in Christ as as God passed by Moses and he's hidden in the cleft of the rock, if we're hidden in Christ, then we'll have access and we'll have the most intimate access. We'll have the access of a son. Uh, but for me, it brings, a, it brings me closer to Christ. Knowing how far away the Father is in the sense of from the ant to the cherub is nothing to him. It makes me terrified, but it makes me fall more in love with Jesus because he is my salvation. He is my way to the Father. More, More than just away from my sin or away from my problems, but in a in a real huge. Oh my goodness, God is transcendent, and Jesus is the one I cling to.
2: I think it also gives me great hope when I pray to understand that this God, who is so unknowable, yet invites me to know Him, the One who created everything out of nothing by His spoken word, wants me to speak my words to Him, and in that interchange. Something happens in me. Something happens externally in the things I am praying. For, the things I'm praying for. The people I'm praying for. So it's it's a uh, it's incredibly attractive that this God who's infinitely unknowable yet has these facets of His character, as Jaden said, that you you get to know Him a bit better. Like, what else is there that I didn't know about You? I mean, I know in my head, but I I now know it experientially. So what what else is there about You but Your kindness? The Lord God gracious. I'm you know, is merciful kindness, like who are you that you you never change and you mercies are new every morning. How do I not want to interact with you? Of course, I do,
1: so it's almost it's almost like as much as you get to know God, there's infinitely more that you still won't understand, whatever knowledge you gain it's 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 but a drop in the bucket, right? For what you can comprehend. And I almost wonder if if there's a little bit of a the red button theory in here somewhere, you know? It's like, don't push the red button. It's like, you can't know God. And it it almost drives us to want to know Him. It's like, really? Like, I can't know God? Like, I got to find out. I remember a song that came out in our house of prayer. And and again, this is how it fuels our prayer. fuels our songs too, I I believe. Just this fascination artists have with the unknowable. They plunge the depths looking to understand Him poetically and artistically. One of the courses that came out, it actually made it onto one of the shop albums, is I want to stare in the face of the invisible God. How can you stare in the face of that which is invisible? It's, it's again, it's just something that drives us to fascination and wanting to know him better and know him more.
0: Yeah, I think there's, there's such a joy in discovery too. I always picture at least the, the four living creatures in Revelation 4, and they're around the throne day and night, and they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy and basically saying, like, transcendent, like, there's nobody like you, is what they're saying. But, but I imagine them with this massive smile on their faces, because they're, just, they're gazing at the uncreated God, and they're just seeing him, and thousands of years later, they, 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 they're, they're still discovering new things about who he is. And, and to me, when it comes to personal prayer, then I understand there's an invitation, because I'm never going to get bored of God. In a billion years from now, in eternity, I'm never, ever going to get bored of God. And and sometimes i do feel bored right now let's let's be real right like we do feel bored but i but i understand that the that boredom the problem is not on his end it's on mine and, and and to me it instead of feeling condemned by that i just feel like there's an invitation to like no 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 like i just need to ask the lord i need that veil lifted off my eyes and i just need to look again and look again and look again on who he is until it actually starts to transform me and i start to see what they see and so it draws you in. It draws you in to actually want to, to gaze on him and, and to know him and understand him because he's so much better than we can imagine.
1: It's almost a perpetual litmus test on our dullness. Like if we ever get bored with him or think we know so much about him, we can usually take that as a litmus test saying, wow, I really, like there's so much more for me to uncover because I all of a sudden become dull and I, I'm i not seeking him out the way I should. And he is infinitely so much more bigger than, than I can think.
4: So you might be pulling from the quote from Alan Hood, you can't know him fully, but you can know him truly. It's this idea that God, while he's unknowable in his vast infinitude from Tozer. Um, we, in the person of Christ, in the face of Jesus, we can truly know what he's like. We may be discovering new things about him, but they're not uh, things that would somehow change. Like It's not like we're going to go for a million years and then be like, oh, I found this out about God and he's completely different than I thought he was. It's like. In the pages of scripture, in the life of Jesus, in our prayer lives, we can know what God is like. We know him truly. We know what he's like. Even if we don't know every little detail about him, we know what he is like. And he is like Jesus.
0: I love that. I think on a on a practical level, one thing I often tell some of the students I'm I, I teach is that we so often get discouraged when we're spending our quiet time with the Lord and we just hit this wall of boredom. And so off we hit that wall of boredom, and then that's kind of where it stops. And then we just go and do something else. And, and sometimes, after a while, people just conclude, "Well, I, I'm just not a prayer person. Like, I don't know. I, I've heard that before. Right? Hey, I'm just not a prayer guy. I'm just not a prayer woman. Like, I'm just that's just not my thing. You, you guys can do that. It's not my thing." But it's but but the reality is is like that's sort of like saying, "No, I'm I'm just not someone who likes to f- sit at the feet of the uncreated Jesus." <laughs> you know, I'm not, that, that, that which doesn't make sense at all. But but my encouragement always is, "Do not get discouraged when boredom hits." Do not get discouraged and sometimes think, ah, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm just messed up. I'm this. I'm that. It's like, no, 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 no. Like dullness is just part of the human condition, but don't worry about it because dullness is not a wall, it's a veil. And I love using that statement, dullness, your dullness in your own heart. You're bored when you're in the middle of prayer and you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. It is not a wall, like a wall that you can't go through. You know, you ram your head against it over and over and you and you finally just fall down because you're, you know, you got concussion and that's sort of it. Like that's that's not what dullness is. Dullness is a veil. And on the other side of the veil is encounter. And we can actually push through that veil. And that's always my encouragement to people. I just like, okay, I start hitting that, I start hitting that veil and I actually just start asking for a clear revelation of who he is. I start praying Ephesians one seventeen. God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the of the knowledge of him. I open up to Revelation 4. It's like, it's such a great passage. I opened up like, Lord, I want to see what they're seeing. And I picture myself in the throne room before this God and try to imagine what they're seeing and, and pray within that sort of lens or understanding. And so, again, this is, this is really, really practical stuff. We, when we hit those, what we think are walls, we need to understand that they're, that they're actually veils and there's a way through.
2: Yeah, I like what you're saying, uh, Brian. And I love that scripture that like God's given us on ramps. He's given us examples of, of things to help us in our dullness. And, you know, it's actually not about my dullness. It's about Him. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. It's not about me. It is yeah. it is more about him. Mm-hmm. I think of uh, his transcendence, his other than-ness. Revelation 4, the living creatures. I love how Alan Hood, he goes on to explain it for some time. And, you know, the living creatures are created beings. Nobody's making them stay there. They have eyes everywhere. Eyes on their wings and under their wings and front and back. They're full of eyes. The first thing that happens when they have self-consciousness after being created is they're staring at God. And they say, other than, other than, who, other than, other than. And then they do it again. And they fall down, they worship, and then their eyes pop open again. And they're like, other than, other than. And so there's a picture for us of what happens when you're that close to the uncreated God. All you can say is other than, other than, other than, holy, holy, holy. And so you kind of go, okay, so if that's what happens when you get close to God, I'm not doing that yet on a regular basis, 24-7. But that's where I'm going, is to be able, you know, that's a picture, a scriptural picture of what it's like when you're in the presence of the uncreated God. And the beauty is, if I run out of things to say, which I feel like you're talking about the, the, um, the, the, Johan, the songs that come out of the prayer room. Right. But it's like words and songs feel so thin. Like they feel so inadequate. That's all we've got, but they feel so inadequate. Yeah. But then, if words, if my words, I run out, well, I grab a song. There's, there's about 150 in the Psalms alone. Grab a song and sing it back to God. Because suddenly there's somebody else's words that help alive in my heart. And I look at what can be with living creatures. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's not about me. It's about, oh, God, oh, you're really good. Oh, and then yeah, I'm through the veil.
1: That makes The living creatures is interesting because because they're full of eyes, that means they're seeing a whole lot more than we would with two eyes and yet they never stop night and day. So it's like they're taking in so much more revelation at once than we could ever with our two eyes and yet they're still going. So that provokes me actually to...
4: Well, when Isaiah sees them initially and they're singing holy, 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 then 700 years later, John sees them, they're still singing holy, holy, holy. <laughs> like, it's not just John thought they were going on for a while. We have them from vision to vision. They are continuing to sing this song because he is he is holy. We struggle with seven hours, never
0: mind 700 years. Which is why we keep praying Ephesians 1. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of wisdom
3: and revelation and the knowledge of him, right? And that's like, always going to be a valid prayer. Yeah. Because we always need to see more. Yeah.
1: yeah. So how does this actually all impact what we do in the prayer room, our intercession?
3: Well, I know for me, being a, a few times I've been around people who are very powerful, who are able to in quote, like make things happen or to get things done. I remember I was talking to a professor and he said, hey, I had this opportunity. And I said, oh, well, what about these barriers? He says, no problem. We can get around that. And then sure enough, we did. And it was kind of, it was a quite an interesting experience because it's like, wow, here's this person who can like make things happen. And like how much more when we come to the feet of Jesus and say, God, would you move in the nation of China? And he says, yeah, I can make that happen. Like I have faithful believers there. I can pour my Holy Spirit on any country. There's no legal barrier for me. The earth is mine. It belongs to me. Then we can come before him and he can make all things happen is just so encouraging and inviting. And I find it changes the language of my prayers to becoming more faith-filled and more hopeful because I can ask for those things knowing that he's able to accomplish all things
0: I, just piggybacking off of what Jaden just said i I find that this is this is one of the key things that really strengthens me as as an intercessor to pray really big prayers because I, I cannot pray a prayer that's bigger than God is, right like Jesus taught us to pray um for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. It's the biggest prayer that could ever be prayed, and that's not a difficult prayer for the Lord to answer because he is so much more powerful. And it it does, like Jaden was saying, like for myself, it has strengthened me so often when we're praying for a whole city or we we pray for a nation, it's a drop in the bucket to God. And so it's such a practical thing. We have this theological discussion for the past like 20, 25 minutes where we're talking about like the transcendence of God, but it is absolutely such a practical discussion for how we pray, both in our personal devotional life, but also in intercession, because I, I think it changes everything as we come to understand or try to understand or begin to comprehend or we get, you know, one hundredth of one percent of the knowledge of him or whatever it is, right? It just strengthens our hearts. It roots us and grounds us in who he is and it fills us with faith and love and adoration and curiosity to know him more. Like, is it worth asking the question,
2: is God worried about what's going on on the earth? Is God worried? Is he concerned that things won't go according to the way he wants? Well, it's an o- the answer is obvious. And so if I'm worried, then I'm not thinking clearly. And go back to our discussion about thinking clearly about who is God. Because if I think clearly about God, then I will have the same attitude and the same perspective as he does. And so hope-filled, faith-filled, the things you're saying, Brian. Yeah, yeah it
0: reminds me of Psalm 2, what you're just saying. It's like when there's trouble and struggles on the earth, he, he sits in heaven and he laughs. <laughs> He's just not phased at all. I love that.
1: I think there's some great stuff we could bring into our prayer meetings here, even just with the fascination piece and continually asking that Ephesians one, asking to know the knowledge of God and know know him better. But we're coming to a close of this episode. We're gonna continue on the intercession conversation in, in the future weeks again. Oh, Brian, you mentioned uh praying big prayers. We, we actually recorded an episode on that. It didn't get published. So if you want that episode, you know, you can sign
4: up for our Patreon, which is now live. It is official. We are going to have many different tiers. You can go check them out with many wonderful resources and content. Uh, we're going to have The Vault, which is going to have these secret episodes that were never released. There's going to be some Wait, What Does That Meme? All sorts of great things you're going to want to check out. It's going to be awesome. But before we end this episode, it is time for...
1: Wait, what does that mean? So today's word or phrase, today it's a phrase, is heart reality. So, Brian, when you walk into a prayer room, if you're someone new coming to the prayer room, and you hear them use this term, heart
0: reality, what are they talking about? Well, you know, it's interesting because when we're actually recording, this is shortly after the, the Christmas time. And I, and I just think about all the, the food that I ate. And, um, and, you know, when you go to a doctor, I think you would probably look at me and he'd say, man, your heart reality is that you need to go to Wendy's a whole lot less. And so heart reality.
3: Heart attack reality. Final answer.
0: <laughs> uh, so what are they
1: actually talking about? So Harv is our guest today. When they use the term heart reality in the prayer room, what are they talking about?
2: What's going on on the inside of you? What is really going on? Don't be fake. Don't try to make something happen that isn't what's actually going on. We want the the true inside of what's going on, the inside of my mind, emotions, and will to line up with Scripture, to line up with Jesus. And we want the inside to match who Jesus wants me to be.
1: I like that definition a lot better. Sorry, Brian.
2: Yeah, no, I actually like that one better, too.
0: <laughs> That's a heart reality I want to think like about. The heart reality. Yeah. Yeah. We're still going after that Whoppers, that... Uh, <laughs> Burger King sponsorship here, so.
4: But don't you think it could go the other way, too? Like, don't you want your heart reality to match, like, you know, what you're thinking? Because if you're thinking, you know, Wendy's is healthy for me, like, couldn't we make that a heart reality? Like, make that a reality for our hearts? It's not where we want to go. <laughs> anyway, this has been a great conversation, and again,
1: we are going to continue. So that concludes this week's episode. If you want to find more information on us, visit our website at burningrooms.ca.com. And yes, we have a patron program, which means you can partner with us. We have some equipment that needs to be upgraded in order to be able to edit these episodes and keep the Burning Rooms podcast going and encouraging and lifting up the prayer room across this nation and over these borders, actually. So if you want to become a Patreon partner with us, become part of our Burning Rooms team. There are some awesome benefits on there. You can hear about them on our website, read about them. You'll find the link in our show notes and on our website, burningrooms.ca. And we also have an Instagram page. Be sure to check that out, The Burning Rooms Podcast on Instagram. It's a great way to interact with us in a different way. And you'll find some fun things on there, too. So until next time, my name is Johan. I'm Jehu. I'm Brian. I'm Harv. And I'm Jaden. And this has been the Burning Rooms Podcast.